All right, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 29. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, or if you don't, be ready to follow along on the screen. We're back in Exodus. We've got just a few more to go. Just a few more to go. Long journey, right? It's been fun. Our longest series ever. <clears throat> Anybody watch the show Breaking Bad when it was on? I'm not endorsing it. Don't send me an email saying you're endorsing. Don't. I'm just saying I happen to watch it. <laughs> Brian Cranston's character uh, plays a, he's, he's a teacher and he, he's, he's a family man. He's diagnosed with cancer and he's, he's worried about his family. He's worried about what's going to happen to them uh, if he dies and when he dies. And so he decides he needs to make more money. So he partners with an ex-student to uh, make meth and sell meth, right? Uh, and to, to make money. And, and all along, season after season, he's telling himself, I'm doing this for the family. I'm doing this for the family. I'm doing this for the family. He's finally ex caught. He's exposed. Police are on to him. And he's still saying to his wife, I'm doing this for the family. I did this for you. I did this for, for our family. And then finally, 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 at the last episode, the last season, finally, there's this moment where he comes clean. And I want to show the clip. I want to just want to just see this clip. It's a one-minute clip. There's no violence in this one. Skyler. All the things that I did. You need to understand. I have to hear one more time that you did this for the family. I did it for me. I liked it. was good at it. And I was really I was alive. Now he didn't go on to change his ways or repent, but he at least had a true confession there. And, and as a pastor and a human being, I guess, more so, um, that true confession is more than most of us do when we're caught and exposed in our sins and our issues. We make excuses, we downplay, we blame. We confess a little bit, but we don't go deeper than that. We blame our parents, we blame a spouse, I'm angry because she's always, I'm like this because my parents blank, whatever it is, we, we, we like to downplay, we don't go all the way, we make excuses. I, I've been there, man, early in my marriage, um, Jess and I would get into these arguments, it all, you know, always happens at night, right? And she's like, I want to go to bed, let's just talk about this tomorrow, and I wouldn't let them know, we got to work this out, we got to work this out. And I would tell myself, my justification was, you know, we're going to fight all night because I care more about this marriage than you do. You want to go to bed, right? And finally, I had to realize in 2015, I remember this moment where God was like, no, you're, 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 you want to be right, and you want, you're staying up all night, not for the marriage, but to finally get her to admit that you're right. And also, because there was, a, there was a fear. There was a fear there. It was driven by fear, not by the Lord. Um, it was driven by a fear of seeing other marriages where things went unresolved. So uh, I had this moment where I had to deal with God in that. I had to get real, right, and stop making excuses. Um, and so today, you know, the, the title of this message, the section of Exodus that we're going to be in, is called The Excuses We Make. 
The excuses we make, we're going to be in Exodus 32, we're going to be in verses 9 through 14, and then we're going to jump down to verses 20 to 28. And here's, here, here's where we were left off uh, last week. Um, the Israelites had been waiting on Mount Sinai. Moses was up on the mountain with God, he, he, you know, um, waiting for Moses to come back down and give them the next steps. What's going to happen here? And they got tired of waiting. You know, we saw last week that they, Moses was long in coming down from the mountain. It was taking too long, and so they're like, man, Aaron... Aaron was a priest. Can you make us something else that we can worship, something else that we can cling to? Their, their uncertainty over what happened to Moses led to this moment of stress. And in that moment of stress, they grabbed for an idol, something that was secure, something that they could bow down to. And so Aaron made them a golden calf for them to dance around um, and prostitute themselves around and have this, like, drunken uh, orgy is what, what, really what the picture was. That, that was what was going down down there. And so and then in verse 8, where we left off, God says to Moses, yo, your people are acting crazy. That's what God says to Moses. Your people are acting whacked down there. And that's where we left off. And what we're going to see, Moses comes down the mountain, and we're going we're gonna to kind of look at three different responses to the people's craziness. We're going to look at Moses' response, we're going to look at Aaron's response, and we're going to look at God's response. And we're going to see that Moses, who has a heart for the people, is very much contrasted with Aaron's heart, which just makes excuses. Makes excuses. Downplays, blames, does what our kids like to do, right? I, I didn't mean to hit him. He just kind of ran into my fist, right? Okay, maybe I did it, but I was fooling around. I was just fooling around. I was just kidding. When in reality, no, you, you, you were very angry. You were being selfish. You wanted your way, and that thing that you were fighting over was too important. But we don't often have those moments of true confession. So I pray that we do, and I pray that those of us who need to come clean in a deeper way can do that. And some of us need to stop making excuses for why we're ignoring God completely. We're going to talk about some dangerous things tonight, some sobering things like God's wrath. So we need to pray for that one. So Lord, help us to hear your word and not, not, not push aside aspects of it that are troubling to our um, modern sensibilities. There's going to be things that bother our modern sensibilities, and we are going to be tempted to judge you according to our standards instead of submitting humbly to your standards and recognize that you're the one who gets to judge. I pray for that those of us who have been making excuses for anything can come clean to you can own it and really own it, not just own surface behaviors, but own the deep rooted heart sin issues underneath it all because we want what you want and that's our freedom that's what i pray for lord only by your grace only by the power of your spirit in your name amen all right so verse nine let's let's jump into it god says to moses i have seen these people they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So God's, God's a little upset. God says to Moses, I am going to destroy this whole nation. Now the nation of Israel was about 2 million, 2 to 3 million at this point. I'm going to wipe them all out. I'll start fresh with you, Moses. Now, what we have here is God justified in wiping them out? If God chose to do that, he is justified in doing that. Two to three million people and starting fresh 
with Moses. Now, are they all equally responsible for this particular incident with the golden calf? No, but none of them are innocent. None of them are innocent. None of them have been innocent since the Garden of Eden when mankind fell into sin. So God is justified in wiping them all out. How does Moses respond? Look at verse 11. Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? God, you rescued them. You redeemed them. You saved them with your power. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? So Moses is appealing to God. Now, first of all, just the intimacy there, the intimate relationship that Moses has with God where he can say something like this. There's a confidence there where Moses feels like he can come to God, and he's not appealing to him like God is some casual buddy, but there's intimacy He's appealing to him first and foremost based on God's glory. He's like, God, I, I want you to be known among the nations as someone who rescued your people and who has been faithful to your people. If you wipe them out now, the Egyptians are going to say, oh, that God was a deceiver. He led them out and then he destroyed them. They won't know you to be the faithful God that has been protecting your people ever since. And then secondly, Moses appeals to him, keep going, keep reading, Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. So secondly, Moses appeals to them based on the promise that God made to Abraham. You made a promise. You made a promise. You, you've, you've, you've created this nation through Abraham. Keep your promise. Stick to it. Again, not because God would forget his promise, but I think God was drawing Moses in to know God's heart. He's drawing him in to know his heart. God has taught Moses to feel what God feels. He's pleading with God on behalf of the people. Aaron led them into sin. But Moses is pleading with God to show mercy. And verse 14 says, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. God relented based on a leader who was faithful to stand in the gap between God's wrath and their sin. God relented as a result of a leader who prayed according to God's glory and God's promises. Commentator David Guzik says this, Moses prayed just as God wanted him to, as if heaven and earth, salvation or destruction, depended on his prayer. This is how God waits for us to pray. Do we pray? Here's my question. Do we pray like that for others? Do we pray like that for others with that kind of heart, that kind of passion? That's why we're doing that fast next week, November 21st, to pray for family members and friends and coworkers and neighbors. We're fasting because, again, we're saying, God, I want to have your heart for people. Because too often I don't. Can I be straight with y'all? Too often I don't. I wake up looking forward to or caring more about other things, including my next meal. I like to cook, so I'll wake up in the middle of the night going, oh, what am I going to make for dinner? I'm going to make this. Instead of waking up going, oh, Harry, my neighbor, they don't know Jesus. They don't know the, the one who I love the most or claim to love the most. So I, I, I want God to change my heart. 
And so we're fasting as a way of saying, God, give me the heart of Moses for the people around me. I want to share your heart. I want to recognize that I can't change anybody's heart on my own. Only you can do it, Lord. As, as weak as I feel without food at 3, 4 o'clock in the evening when I'm fasting, that's how spiritually weak I am to change anybody's heart without God, you doing a miracle. But I'm standing in the gap saying, do the miracle, Lord. Open eyes, soften hearts. So again, take one of your Connect cards. If you got it, sign up for that fast next week. Last month we had about 30 people. Maybe we'll have like 60 this time. Jump down to verse 20. Now we're going to see what happens when Moses gets down the mountain. So something happened in between there. He broke the tablets of stone. We're going to skip that section. Uh, but jump down to verse 20. Moses gets down the mountain. He took the calf the people had made, and he burned it in the fire. Check this out. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He's intense. Moses is 80. Y'all, he can get away with that when you're 80. You can do that kind of stuff. Right? He made them drink water with gold dust in it. Why? Maybe, maybe, scholars debate what was going on here, but maybe Moses was just saying, drink this, it's going to make you feel sick, and that's what idols do to you. When, you. when you worship false gods, when you worship idols, you will get sick in the end. In the end, it will ruin you. Verse 21, here we go. He said to Aaron, his, this was his brother, the one responsible who led the people into this. What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? How does Aaron respond? Does he come clean? Does he have that moment like uh, Brian Cranston's character in Breaking Bad that we saw earlier? What does he do? Verse 22. Don't be angry with me, my Lord. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. You know how prone they are to evil, he says. Instead of saying, you know how prone we are to evil, you know how crazy these people are. He throws them under the bus. Moses is just up on the mountain pleading with God to show mercy to these people, and here's Aaron willing to throw them under the bus. What a contrast. He's looking out for number one, just like he was last week. When the people were coming after him, he was placating them because he was looking out for number one. And now Moses is coming after him. He's like, well, Moses, I wasn't with them. They, I didn't want to do that. Their fault. Blaming, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. If you know the story, they rebelled. They transgressed God's commands. God came to the garden. What's up? What happened? And Adam's like, yo, it was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit. She kind of did it there. And then the woman's like, no, 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 it was a serpent. The devil made me do it. It's the games we play. It's the excuses we make. We don't admit what was really going on in our hearts. And then look at what Aaron continues, verse 24. So I told them, this is Aaron speaking, I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave, it, gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. I mean, my kids have better excuses than that, right? Out came this calf. I, I, it just happened, right? It just happened. I slipped back into that. It just happened. I didn't know. I, I lost my temper. It just happened. It was an accident. I didn't know that was going to take place. I didn't mean it. Now, Aaron, we saw last week, he had fashioned this gold. He had carved it. He had hammered it. 
And then here he is going, it came out, a calf came out. No idea that was going to happen. But we have such an insane ability to justify ourselves when we're caught, when we're exposed. We're so slow to admit what was really going on in our hearts, aren't we? So slow. Verse 25, Moses saw that the people were running wild. So the calf has already been destroyed. People are still going crazy because there's millions of them, right? They're, they're, they're scattered all over the place. And then Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So Moses stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. So Moses draws a line in the sand. He's like, all right, whoever's on the Lord's side, whoever wants to repent, whoever wants to turn from this craziness, get over here. And the Levites, it's pointing out the Levites, because the Levites was a tribe that Moses and Aaron were part of. So because Aaron led them into the sin, it's highlighting the fact that most of the Levites came over and were among those who repented. Okay? So Moses draws the line and said, a decision had to be made. A physical act had to be uh, um, implemented, right? They had to move. They had to Come over here. God still calls us to make a decision. If you're on with me, if trust in Christ, you receive forgiveness, but it's a decision that we still have to make. Now, here's where it gets a little sobering, scary, and why, the reason why some people don't, don't like the Bible. Um, so just let's just read it. Verse 27. Then he said to them, this is Moses, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. I'm not going to gloss over that. I read this, I remember, about a year ago, and I remember thinking, I was journaling about it, I'm like, what the heck, God? Seriously? Like, not only did they die, but you made the Levites do the killing? So a line is drawn in the sand, Many people repent. Many people don't repent. 3,000 people end up being slaughtered. Who They don't repent. They, they cling to their sin. And the Levites had to be the ones who did the killing. That's troubling to me. A few things that we can draw from this. Number one, this is a picture of the severity of God and how serious he takes sin. Like it or not. God's a holy God, and he takes sin very seriously. It needs to be dealt with. It bothers us that God dealt with it this way. Like, why death, we, we think? Because it's treason against a holy God. America takes seriously treason, right? We know this. Idolatry, the worship of a false god, is treason against a holy God, and he takes it seriously. And here's the thing, here's the thing. I bet... I bet that if what they were guilty of was child molestation, most of us would be like, yeah, kill them. Wipe them all out. 3,000 people, absolutely. Right? Yeah, we would. Because that fits in our, in our standards. It fits within our framework. Well, for, for God is telling us idolatry is just as bad. Worse. Because idolatry is a sin by which all the other sins flow out of. We talked about this back in July. 
God takes that seriously, and he wants us to join him in seeing sin the same way instead of us going, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you, God, for being too severe. No, no, let's, let's let God's standard be our guide and, and help us to realize that, wow, wow, idolatry is some serious business. We take it too casually. A second thing we can draw from this is that it shows great mercy on God's part. Great mercy. And you think, well, how's mercy? 3,000 people died. Here's the thing. Do you remember just a few verses later, God was about to wipe out the whole nation, 2 to 3 million people? Remember that? I, I did the math. 3,000 people out of, even conservatively, if you went with 2 million, 3,000 out of 2 million is 0.15%. That's a small percentage. So God went from about to wipe out 100% of the people not down to 75%, not down to 50%, not down to 20 not 10%, not even 1%. 0.15% are wiped out as a result of this nonsense. That's a huge difference. That's great mercy that God is showing. 3,000 people clung to their sin. They're given a chance to repent. I presume that when the Levites went out with their sword, people still had a chance to repent, but these 3,000 were like, no, nah, I got my face. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then boom. Third, third thing I draw from this, I see in this, is that the people who had done the repenting of the sin had to do the killing, and thus they had to feel the weight of the consequences. They had to feel it. They had to see it. Among those were Aaron. They had to see the consequences of the of their, of their games that they were playing. And, and, and I think God wanted them to feel his heart. God was grieving over the, the fact that these folks were perishing, and I think God wanted them to feel it. Oh, my gosh. Some of these people who are being killed are neighbors and friends and relatives. Oh, my goodness. Because God's heart is grieved when somebody is perishing spiritually. And his heart grieves over the fact that some will perish spiritually forever and be separated from him. He doesn't want that. And he wants us to share his heart for that. He wants us to care. And isn't it a sober warning when you think about Aaron? Isn't it a sober warning for you and I with the social networks that we're a part of? Because Aaron had a chance last week to say, guys, this is ridiculous. Hold on. Let's not do this. But he was playing peacemaker or peacekeeper, placating them. Okay, okay, I'll give you something. I'll give you something. He'll give you his golden calf. He didn't try to sound the warning. He was afraid of them, afraid of what they might do to him. And some of us are so focused on what the other people around us and our social work networks think of us that we don't sound the warning. That we, don't, that we don't take a risk. That we don't say, hey, there's actually something dangerous coming if you don't turn to Jesus, the Savior. We don't open our mouths. We make excuses for it. We, we don't want to be like those Bible thumper folks that we've seen in our lives. Maybe some of us had those parents who were blaring on a loudspeaker on a street corner saying, turn or burn. It's like, well, I don't want to be like that. But we've swung so far in the other direction where we're just like, hey, I'm just cool. I'm just like one of you. I'm going to prove that I'm just a cool little Christian, just laid back, just like you. I don't, I don't need to talk about Jesus. I'll just be so kind to you that you're going to one day ask me what I believe in randomly. And listen, there's a place for that. Absolutely. We don't open our mouths every, all the time. There's wisdom there. But some of us use that as an excuse. While people are perishing, cut off from God, not knowing his love. Because we're playing peacemaker, peacekeeper. 
I have to ask myself often when it comes to the relationships I have. Am I praying for them like Moses did for the people, or am I trying to keep the peace like Aaron? Do I have Moses' heart? Am I going, God, do something, or am I just trying to... i got to wonder that. I ask God that. I ask myself that. Now, as a result, Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and daughters, and he has blessed you this day. He said this to the Levites. He's saying, you showed radical devotion. You repented to the point where you were willing to sacrifice relationships and people that you love in order to stay true to me. And that's what God still calls us to. Jesus said that your faith in me is going to lead to brothers and sisters and family members actually turning against you. Are you willing to do it? Now, we don't experience much of that in America, but we see it around the world. We see Muslims coming to faith in Jesus and them being cut off from family members, being stoned, being kicked out, being harassed. We saw with the, the, the video from the Israelites, or the Israelites, the missionaries in Israel, uh, when folks, whether they're uh, Muslims or, or Jewish, that come to faith in Jesus, oftentimes they can't be buried amongst their family members. Still happens. Verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Atonement means cover over, at one min, at one made, make one with God again. Re-reconcile you back to God. Moses recognizes that even for the people who have repented, sacrifice has to be made. Atonement has to be made. You don't just get to say, God, I'm sorry, let me try again. It's never been the case. A sacrifice has to be made. And so Moses realizes that there needs to be atonement. So he goes up, verse 31 Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. So he shares God's heart. Earlier, we saw that God was pleading with God on behalf of the people, and now Moses is also sharing God's heart for what they've done. Right? He's, he's in between. God, please show them mercy, but man, they screwed up big time. He's not making excuses for them. They've made themselves gods of gold, but despite how serious that was, now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses so loves the people. He's like, you kick me out too. If you're not going to forgive them, then kick me out too. The Apostle Paul will later share this kind of sentiment later on in the book of Romans. Now, God doesn't make those kinds of deals. He's like, well, I want you, Moses, so I guess I will have. No, he doesn't do that. But it, 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 it at least is a picture of a heart that cares so much about the people who need forgiveness, need to experience it. And that heart is the same heart that God is going to show to the world when he comes down as God the Son puts on flesh. And you know what he did? Many scholars believe he went up that same mountain, Mount Moriah, and that's where he was crucified on the Roman cross to make atonement permanently, ultimately, once and for all time for you and I covered over our sin, at one mint made, one with God again. And then Jesus says, Jesus says, he draws a line, and he says, all those who are on the Lord's side, he doesn't say clean up your behavior, he doesn't say get back to church, he doesn't say start reading the Bible, come to me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Come to the cross, bow your knee, accept the fact that you need forgiveness for your sin. You'll be washed. Your guilt will become righteousness. 
You'll be adopted into the family of God. You'll be separated from your sin. You'll be rescued from the wrath of God that is to come. Saved from death. And then you will join with me in interceding for the lost and broken world who are all facing the judgment of God. Now, I want to end by speaking to three groups of people. Group number one. Group number one. You have trusted in Jesus. You're not under his wrath. You don't face God's wrath anymore. And you need to stop worrying and fearing his wrath. When something bad happens, you don't have to worry, is this God punishing me? Is this God condemning me? That's not the case. You are not under God's wrath. You need to hear that. You have trusted in Jesus. You have trusted in his sacrifice. Any trial that's been going on in your life, anything that Satan has been throwing at you, anything uh, that, that, that has come at you from the evil of this world is still filtered through the hands of grace. God promises that nothing will come at you that he will not redeem. He will not redeem. Some way, somehow, someday, you're not under wrath. You're not being punished. You're not under condemnation. You need to hear that. Now, does he discipline those he loves? Yes, he does. Like a parent disciplines their children and say, hey, get to your room. You, you, we're going to talk. We're going to reset this heart of yours tonight. But he does it for our freedom. He does it for our joy. He does it for our fulfillment. So some of us, even when we've screwed up big time, even when we've fallen back into an addiction, we lost that temper, God might be exposing us. But it's for our good. It's for our joy. It's for our fulfillment. And so all the more reason why, don't make excuses for it. See it the way God sees it. Ask him, God, what's at the root of this? I don't want to go easy on myself. I want to be free from this. Not because God is a God of wrath, but because he's a God of grace and love for his children. The judge of the universe has become your father. You need to hear that. Your father does not condemn you. He wants you free. So all the more reason to stop playing games and making excuses. That's group number one. Then there's group number two. Group number two. <clears throat> you are not a follower of Jesus. You haven't trusted in him. Maybe you have questions about him. Maybe you've outright rejected him. And I want you to feel safe coming to True Life Church. I, I've always prayed that True Life Church would be a place where people can come, ask questions about Jesus, admit that, hey, I don't agree with you, what, what, you, what you preach, Pastor Chris. Can we talk about it? Without everybody jumping down your throat, treating you like a project to fix. Always want that for True Life Church. But at the same time, still need to be honest with you about the fact that if what we believe, what I preach, is true, then you are under wrath. You are facing a judgment that is coming your way. And it's worse than what the Israelites experienced that day. It's eternal separation from God and all, every, every glimpse of goodness in this world is going to be amplified one day on a new earth. 
and those who have trusted in Jesus will experience it. Everything bad about this world will be amplified in the other direction, and those who have rejected Jesus will experience that for all eternity. I've got to be honest, like that's, that's, that's coming, and it's not because of bad behavior. It's because of rejection. We all, all got bad behavior. It's because of rejection of the King of Kings, Jesus, the one who made atonement, the one who went up that mountain to die on a cross. So I pray, here's the thing, I pray, <laughs> to the first group, I pray that you would feel a freedom. And for the second group, I pray that you do feel guilt and shame. Like, I've heard Christians say we shouldn't feel guilt and shame, God's not a, if you're not clinging to Jesus, you're guilty. And there's shame to be felt. And if you don't feel that, oh, that's dangerous. That's like my five-year-old playing in the middle of the street and me saying, get out of the road, and, and her thinking, no, it's all fine. And somebody else saying, don't worry, it's, it's fine. Don't, don't scare her. You're scaring her. You're one of those scary parents. It's fine. Stay in the street. But there's a truck coming. Don't scare her. Don't scare her. If you haven't clung to Jesus, you still stand guilty, and there is shame to be felt. I pray you feel it. I pray you feel it. So you look up and see that there's a truck coming. Like if I'm walking across the street with my five-year-old and I'm holding her hand, yeah, I don't want her to feel afraid. If there's a truck coming a few hundred yards away, I don't want her pulling against me saying, no, Daddy, it's not safe. I was, no, sweetie, you can trust me. Come on. You're with me. You can trust me. Right? And so for those of us who have clung to Jesus, yeah, there's judgment coming. We're, we're freed from that. We're freed from that. We can rest in his arms. He's got us. But if we haven't trusted in Jesus, there's a truck coming, and we're in the middle of the street playing, and we're not seeing it. And I pray you see it. I pray you don't busy yourself with work, and you don't think, well, I'm a pretty model, good, you know, good citizen. I coach Little League and all that. No, there's a truck coming. The truck of God's judgment is coming, and I pray you feel it. I pray you feel it tonight, that God moves in you. And then number, group number three. <clears throat> group number three is... You are a follower of Jesus. You're not under God's wrath. And maybe you know it. You're confident of it. But you've got friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors who are. And you see them playing in the street. And you don't really care. Because you've got other things that you're worried about. You've got other things that you're getting worked up about. The news is telling you to care about other things. So you're like, oh, I'm going to care about that stuff instead. And I'm included in this group sometimes. Well, again, back to the reason why we're fasting next week. We've got other priorities that make us upset. We've got other things that bother us more than the fact that people don't know the Savior. We claim to love and treasure above all things. We get more upset over the fact that a neighbor lets their dog poop in our yard than the fact that our neighbor doesn't know God and is headed for eternity without him. We get more upset over the fact that a coworker is driving around with a Joe Biden bumper sticker or wearing a Trump hat than the fact that they don't know Jesus, right? And so that's why we're saying, God, change my heart. I can't change my heart. Change my heart, God. Move in me. And again, that's why we're fasting next week together. Okay, I'm done. Band, come on up here. Um, here's what we're going to do. As the band is singing and leading us in some worship right now, I'm going to be on one side here. Dan and Cindy Dornacker are going to be on the other side. If you fall into any of those groups, I mean, you, you, right? hopefully you recognize that you fall into um, 
either one or two, and some of you also in three. If you want to be prayed for, you can come down. And here's the thing. No storytelling, no counseling session. You just All, all we're asking you to say is, I'm group number one. I know Jesus. I'm not under his wrath. I need to feel that. Maybe there's some areas where I'm coming clean. That's what that means. Group number one. That's all we're going to ask you to say. And then we're going to pray for you as we feel led to pray for you. You need to own something between you and God, then you do that. If God leads you to tell somebody else later on, maybe in your life group, he can do that. We're not asking you to do that right now. It's group number one. Or group number two. Group number two means, yeah, I don't know Jesus. We'll pray for, for you. And then group number three just means, man, I know Jesus. I know people who don't know Jesus, and I want to care more. All right, so Dan and Cindy, would you guys come down here to be available? We'll just be available while the band is singing. Uh, at the very least, let's stand and let's, let's worship God. And if, if you're somebody here who doesn't know Jesus, I, I just want to encourage you to ask God.